Welcome to the Sweet Hereafter podcast, a podcast commissioned by fellow fan Ollie O uh, through our subbable.com slash bald move link. It's the top tier reward, the brass ring. You can commission us to do a custom podcast on damn near anything. On two yeah. to three hours worth of content, we will consume it and we will convert it into a podcast. Uh, Ali is really thrown down the gauntlet. He is pushing us far outside of our envelope. For sure. This movie, uh, made in 1997, is an adult piece of film in every sense of the word. It is definitely what I would describe as a film. Not a movie, yes. not a flick. It is a film. It yes. takes a very see nuanced a approach to deep at themes. a cinema. Yeah. Not, you, don't, <laughs> yes. you don't see it at the movies. Uh, you see it at the cinema. Sure. Yeah, no, um, and it's interesting because, like, you know, a lot of people say when you're talking about kids' entertainment, like, something's purely for kids, you know, it doesn't have anything for adults. This is, like, mm. the opposite of that. This sure. is something that... says nothing for a child. <laughs> you have to have a very mature outlook on life to even approach and access, let alone to enjoy. So you're going to have two children reviewing an adult's movie. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's the interesting thing because... Um, a lot of these films, I don't know that you're intended to enjoy them. It's kind of like you're supposed to appreciate the complexities and sure. the emotional palette with which they're painted. Mm-hmm. But kind of like, you know, when you get into really rarefied foodie culture, um, you know, when you're talking about molecular gastronomy and stuff like that, it's not, and you're talking about caviar, it's not so much that this is objectively like chocolate cake good. Mm-hmm. It's more like this is complex and it's got an interesting uh, a texture, and when you bite into it, it bursts on your tongue and it feels like a thousand salmon ejaculating into your mouth. Um, yeah, I'm more of the the Anthony Bourdain kind of foodie, where I appreciate some really good too. tasting food. Uh, it doesn't have to be the most advanced or finest food on the planet. It just needs to be good and be what it is, and. Maybe that's why I'm not necessarily drawn to movies like this because mm-hmm. I've never seen anything else that this director has done. Okay, uh, that, I hear same here. a lot of good things. I read some reviews, including Roger Ebert's, and it seems like I think his name is Adam Egoyan. Yeah, and it seems like he has a track record of making these kind of emotionally stunning movies. Yes, films. Yes, he looks like a, an NPR host. Okay. Uh, and he makes a lot of, uh, especially Canadian mov- uh, movies. So a lot of stuff that we haven't heard of. This one in particular kind of blew up, and it was nominated for an Oscar. It won several Cannes Awards. It won some other Critics' Choice Awards. It hit what is the popular buzzsaw that was the Titanic in the 97 Oscars and mm-hmm. got defeated, I think, for Best Director by Titanic. And... It also got, oh. I think, best screenplay. Um, L.A. Confidential defeated it for that. It's a shame. Egoyan could have been going to the bottom of the Marinara Trench. <laughs> Very <laughs> honest. Yeah, for all uh, that sweet, sweet sauce. Yep. Uh, I, you know, and it's the more the older I get, the more I look back at past Oscar races and look at stuff like, oh, it's a joke. You know, like. Forrest Gump is a great movie. It's a fine film. I sure. don't regret seeing. I think everyone should see it, and probably everyone has. Mm. But it beats Goodfellas. 
Huh. You know, and and that's ti- that's interesting. It, I don't know. Is Titanic a better film than The Sweet Hereafter? I think it's almost inarguable that it's not. It's not film. as an inter- as entertaining a film. Uh, Titanic is a much more entertaining film. This is a much better film, in my opinion. I will say that Titanic is the type of film that is less entertaining the more you watch it. Okay, because I've probably seen it three times, and every single time I see it. You know, since the first time, which I thought was a pretty moving film, mm-hmm. but the first this after I kept on seeing it's like, oh, you just see more and more of the artifice and more how much it's kind of a lot. It, it relies on the, you know, kind of your emotional connection to these two characters, mm-hmm. and the fact it's a it's an honest god tragedy. This film, the sweet hereafter, is more. It reminded me a lot of the first type of this film where I was watching it and I'm like, oh, this is like an adult film. Uh, Snow falling on cedars. Never where, saw it. It has it, it's basically you know kind of quiet and melancholy, and it's a character study, and it's not as important what happens, but why it happens, and why the characters are doing the things that they're doing, and it makes you feel like if you want to know what it's been, what it would be like to. I mean, you could draw modern examples of. Um, well, first of all, I digress. This is a, this is a movie about a town that a very small town in Canada where a school bus runs off the road and kills about half the kids in it. I think there's 24 kids on it, maybe. Mm-hmm. 18 of them died. 18 of them died. Some of them were crippled. The oh. bus driver lives. She's got survivor's guilt. It's like, what if a tragedy of this scale happened to a small town and you were living in it? Sure. What would it feel like? And I think it captures that very well. And the central hook of it is there is a lawyer that's come to represent the families because he's got lots of motivations. There's a justice aspect, you know, that he appeals to the parents, but there's also a monetary aspect that he's looking, you know, to sue the bus manufacturer because of a faulty bolt or a, you know, something that contributed to the accident. He's looking to sue the the town. Like the, for yeah, not having he's, he's looking to sue rails. the town or the county. Something with deep pockets. He doesn't yeah. want to. Sue. He doesn't want the bus driver, <laughs> right? And not just because she doesn't have any fault. Although it seems like the movie seems sure. to think that that's the case. Yeah, but you know that she, she doesn't, just have, doesn't deep have deep pockets. Quote unquote deep pockets. Yeah, and I think it's very interesting to see the parents' differing reactions to that. Mm-hmm. Like some of them are very motivated by making you know the fact that they're. This uh, wasn't just some accident that happened, but someone did this, and that someone's got to pay. Sure, there are a lot of different motivations, right? I mean, Nicole's dad uh, is definitely in it for money, because, and you can't totally blame him either, because he does now have to take care of his daughter, who is in a wheelchair, um, has you know a lot of issues to deal with there. You know, the least of which is being molested by her father. Uh, there's that. But his motivation it's is money. It's an interesting statement to say you can't you can't blame him for that. Yeah, he's a child molester, can you? But that's no, no. I, I'm not saying don't blame no, him no, for being no, a child no, molester. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, saying no. he probably <laughs> needs money. I'm sure that's why he's after money. Um, I totally get that. But then there are, are other motivations as well, right? Mm-hmm. There are people who are just stricken with grief and want someone to pay. Right. There are, you know, fathers who realize that it was an accident i mean billy knows that it was an accident there was nothing abnormal about it and doesn't and he doesn't like, want this thing going on doesn't like seeing what this is doing to the community this injection of money into the grief process yeah. and but i think it's like you see this reaction a lot like i think um i believe it was sandy hook the elementary school that got shot up last year sure you, know, you saw a lot of this going on too where 
politicians and lawyers got involved and it became a political thing and there was a you know almost a scandal because i remember one father in particular said jesus christ you jackals can't you just leave us alone can't we yeah. just grieve does it have to be you know this thing about the you know this is a small community that's had its heart torn out mm-hmm. it doesn't really give a shit about the other games and there was this one guy named billy in this that kind of he was played by the guy that plays uh, JFK in 13 Days, uh, Christopher Pike in Star Greenwood, Trek. Bruce Greenwood, yeah. Uh, great character actor. And I, I mean, he's dressed up like a, like a, you know, lumberjack. He looks like the father from Twilight. Oh, a little bit. <laughs> with only, his mustache. With worse hair and, and teeth. Yeah, well, yeah. But it's amazing how it's a very kind of like a mir- uh, funhouse mirror Fargo. Okay. Where it's just... Just and instead of like where you take out everything that's entertaining and yeah no stuff no that's instead horrifying. of like dark things that are kind of uh, humorous like you got a black humor there's just no humor in this zero but there's none. still the underlying blackness and despair that kind of like just sure people's lives yeah uh, there's plenty of that in this film uh, but and, and it stretches out to I I mean it's super important to talk about Mitchell who's the lawyer. Uh, mm-hmm. because he, you know, he's played by a, Ian Holmes, which you'll recognize sure. as the old Bilbo, not the young Bilbo from the new <laughs> yeah. ones, but the old Bilbo and the Speaking Lord of the Rings. Fargo. Uh, and so, he's the priest in Fifth Element, and he's the yes. first android from the first <laughs> Alien movie, and he's been in tons of shit. Yeah, and he is the plot device in this film. Yeah, uh, he's the, the only reason this film happens is because he's there. Uh, but he is also dealing with his own tragedy, which is that his daughter Zoe is hooked on drugs and has been for a while now. Why that has nothing to do with the main story. Why did they put it in there? I think it's it's there to make him more sympathetic certainly because I mean there's the threat and that that's a thing about this film it's very subtle on almost all accounts mm, that I can mm-hmm. that I can think of. He is a much more nuanced character than you might typically get in a film like this where you could see just a money grubbing lawyer coming in, pushing people to do to get this case going so he can make a buck. That's not what entirely what Mitchell is about in this film. I mean, that is certainly there. And I think it's, we've seen those type of lawyers before we've seen them in John Grissom movies. We saw in the, we see them too often. I think, right. What, what was the, was it a Paul Newman the ver- was it the the verdict or I, I think it was the verdict, and that is a fantastic film that is a little bit more in the vein of this film. Sure, it's a uh, little it's very bit, quiet. It's, it's a lot more kind of plot driven and overly yeah. like you know has a hook and you kind of it, it wants you to feel a certain way and root for somebody. But there is some like investigative stuff going on there that's a little exciting. Right. Um, but in this film, you're really just connecting with the characters and the tragedy around yeah, like them. You, you can't really root for this lawyer, but you can't really root against it. Exactly, yeah. I get the feeling that he doesn't even care. Like about? The, ab- about, you know, the money. Uh, he's just got this empty, haunted quality, and this is his job, and he's doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, like he's stuck in a car wash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's stuck in a car wash till all the paint gets scrubbed off his car. Yep. But it's this thing that's happened with his daughter is just, you know, drained him to the point where I just don't know that he cares one way or another. Sure. And you can tell, like, you know, he wasn't angry at the end of the movie when well, I guess we'll get to that, but he was just kind of like matter of fact and, you know, uh, the way he deals with his daughter. 
uh, when she calls for yeah. increasingly transparent. But you can't even tell that. Like, it was it was her final thing where she calls her dad, says, I need money because they I tried to sell my blood and they wouldn't take it because I got AIDS. Sure. I think at that point, was that it doesn't gen- matter. And no, right. It's yeah. too late. Yeah, and that's that's the tragedy around him is that he's also losing his daughter at the same time. But the, but that the other thing I thought was interesting is when they went back and they they opened up at the scene of this couple lying in bed with a child between them and it's you know a very sweet yeah. innocent scene. You later come to understand that this is a memory he was having of his daughter when she was three years old and they were staying in a cabin and she got bit by mm-hmm. a black widow spider. And they had this hot, this thing where, you know, they had to drive her to the hospital. He almost had to give her an emergency tracheotomy. And, you know, he talks about how happy everyone, they all were back then. And now you understand yeah. they probably got a divorce. And he's got this daughter who's this malignant kind of cancer in his life now. And I get, I got the feeling that when he's dealing with these people, he sometimes wonders what it had been like if his daughter had died at three. Sure, and it's the same question I think that Nicole's dealing with in this film. You gotta wonder whether uh, his daughter, the you know the drug addict, would sometimes wonder if she would rather never been born. Or, I mean, sure. that's this is the kind of heavy shit. And the Ohio weather cooperated beautifully. This is one of the dreariest shitty days <laughs> we've had in this yeah. spring summer beginning of 2014. I mean, it's just foggy and. shitty outside and and it was a perfect environment to watch this film in because it's the environment in that film it's foggy and shitty it's it's snowy and it's a lot of brooding mountains and dark skies and just feels like depressing yeah a wet blanket is thrown on the entire town sure i'm with you um the the only thing i'm I'm about to do minor uh breaking bad spoilers here okay so if people are not past I season think, two of Breaking okay, Bad, now I know where you're going. then I'm going to spoil some stuff for you. So skip ahead a couple minutes. Uh, the scenes where he's talking to his daughter at the very beginning when he's in the car wash, a lot of this felt like uh, Jane and her dad yep. in Breaking Bad. Felt yep. eerily similar, sure. like almost like the people who made Breaking Bad had seen this film and taken some of the dialogue straight from it. It wouldn't surprise me at all. The way that all, he knowing... was like so guilt-ridden about not helping her, and yeah. yet he knew this was just going to backfire in his face. Yeah. Uh, it's, and maybe that's just you know the thing about dealing with junkies when they're in your family. That's just how it goes. Right. Uh, I wouldn't know, but they felt very, very similar. Yeah, and I was going to draw the same line between jo- the John Delancey character, and mm-hmm. I decided, eh, I don't want to bring in. Breaking Bad, but since you've opened the door, <laughs> uh, the way he kind of like distractedly went about his job and ended up yep. with, with tragic results, I felt like that was a lot of the kind of affect that Ian Holm was playing. Sure. When he's because he's given, you know, a couple times he could get up a little bit of effort to make the parents like care, but most of the time it's just kind of like, you know, I could get you some money. And that's always an interesting thing, thing too. Like so when something tragic happens, you know. What does it feel like to be a parent in that situation where your child's died and you can join a lawsuit and get like a million to a couple million dollars for your child? What does that feel like? Do you what? feel guilty doing that? I don't know what. I mean, is there at some point you where like you it's... find yourself getting excited that you're going to get this money yeah, and then yeah. you realize what it's for and it's like a monkey paw situation? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. I was trying to feel because you get the gamut. 
There's parents that don't give a shit about the money and just want the lawyer to go away. There's parents that don't give a shit yeah. about the money and want the justice. There's parents that, oh, sure, they want the justice, but you can also see, especially, like you said, Nicole, the, the daughter who we find out her dad is molesting her mm-hmm. or sexually abusing her. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> But you feel like that there there was this thing like she's going to be his country singer star and like maybe the family's hopes are pinned on that. And now it's like, oh, well, this is plan B. Always a bad idea to hope that your daughter's going to turn out to be Britney Spears. It doesn't turn out that well. Never. Even if it happens. Yeah. Even when it happens, it's still shitty. (laughs) So let me ask you this. This might be not even an appropriate line, but uh, it's real and I'm going to go there. Okay. Why do you think the daughter lied? I think a big portion of it is to get payback on her father. For why? Uh, for a uh, have uh, sexually abusing her, uh, and B because he he was obviously very greedy. Uh, and this was, you know, I mean, she has had her life ruined by this guy, as, as far as she's concerned, and she wants to do the same to him. I think. I wonder if this maybe there's something there, more nuanced there as well, I, and I don't know, but I feel like that there's this simple narrative when you have a child that's sexually abused by an adult, and I whatever I say is not to condone the abuse or to contextualize or anything, but sure, I feel like when you're a teenager in that situation, the reality is a lot more complex. That yes, it's still an adult in a power situation, you know, taking awful advantage of a child, and it should never happen. But if you put yourself in that child's situation, and that scene where you know he built this elaborate princess bedroom for her when she came back and she's crippled, and she was talking about you know you promised me the stage with the candles, which was a callback to their rather intimate encounter up in the barn. Mm-hmm. I felt like there was a little bit of jilted lover there too. Like wow. she was, hmm. and and again, I don't think this is a, a particularly unusual um, feeling to have or a bad feeling, but I thought it was interesting that the film went there, that it's like reflecting yeah. that she was disappointed, not just because, and yeah, she there's a lot of complex feelings about how she felt about her father molesting her, mm-hmm. but also the fact that that changed the relationship. And, you know, it was her dream too, probably, to be the, the country singer as well. Sure. And now that this has changed the relationship, and it there was something to that too, which I thought was extremely interesting. Yes, uh, this movie, this sorry, this film <laughs> is extraordinarily emotionally deep, and I mean that's what it pins all of its entertainment value on, I guess. Yeah. And I use entertainment in a very general sense. There, I don't know that I would. It's not entertaining. Call this this an is, entertaining film it's to absorbing. watch in the sense that like fast. Five is entertaining, right? But yes, it it pulls you in, and it and it makes you feel what these characters are feeling, and in that sense, it's entertaining, and and it's extraordinarily nuanced. And I think the performances of everyone here are just incredible. Yes, uh, everyone in this film does such a great job of balancing this this sadness with maybe some hope there's a little bit of hope in there too i mean especially toward the end mm-hmm. um you can see maybe mitchell is kind of waking up as to his daughter's plight and effect on him mm-hmm. maybe he's gonna you know not despair about her his entire life 
It feels like the maybe that conversation he because he randomly ran into one of her childhood friends. Yeah, yeah. On wherever a on a plane, and cause that's the other thing about this movie. It's the way it's told is very non chronologically. Or on a bus? Was he on a bus or a plane? I just believe it's a plane because it was a stewardess. Okay, buses. Yeah. Uh, trust me, don't Do have, have stewardesses. stewardesses. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but um. And it's back in the age of flight where you actually got served hot meals and... Sure. Oh, Yo, you don't like the steak? Well, let me give you the poached fish. Poached salmon, yeah. Yeah, the poached salmon. Get the fuck out of here with that. <laughs> the ticket probably cost a million, you know, million dollars adjusted for inflation, yeah. too. But uh, anyway. A million loonies. A million loonies, exactly. Um, well, shit, Jim, you derailed I derailed me. you. Congratulations. You... I got derailed. Um, I'm not going to make the joke on that. <laughs> interesting that this was based on a novel written in 91. So this got optioned and turned around in about five years, which is kind of unusual into itself. Okay. Um, by an American author, Russell Banks. It was set in upstate New York. Obviously, uh, Adam decided they want to bring it back to the land of the maple leaf, which I don't think made much of a difference. Or do you think? Let's, let's talk about that first. Changing the setting from upstate New York to British Columbia, how does that change the film? Without... Knowing that, I don't think it does. I don't think it changes it at all. Hmm. If I had if I had known nothing about where they were, I think I would have felt this the exact same way as I felt knowing exactly where they were. Yeah, because once I saw the guy, I thought when I first started watching the film, I thought this was taking place in like rural England. Oh, and then I started hearing Americanized accents, and I'm like, okay, well that can't be. And then I saw very early on the film the bus driver who's uh, husband is in a wheelchair because he suffered a stroke. He's got a maple leaf on his lapel. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, it must be set in Canada. And I felt like it gave a little bit of otherworldly, like, hmm. you know, just enough detachment to allow yourself to just completely watch without any kind of critical, you know, because, like, who the hell knows what goes on in Canada <laughs> as far as how people react and how neighbors go. Sure, and, yeah. You know, whereas if you said it in Indiana, there might be some things that bother me. I was just like, okay, it's another country. Mm. Uh, the author, I guess, worked really closely with the making of this film and really praised uh, Egoyan's, um take on this. In fact, he sat down and did a DVD commentary with the director and said this might be one of the very few times where a film is better than the book it's based on. Wow. And I think – and he said one of the key uh, brilliances of the film was they took this Pied Piper story. Mm-hmm. And had the Nicole, who was, I guess, the town babysitter, was reading this to one of the children the day before the big accident happened. Yeah. And in this version of Pied Piper, you know, if you're infamous to story, the Pied Piper plays a song, leads all the rats out of town. And the adult said that they would pay him money for this contract. When he yep. came back, they refused. So he played a song, let all the children out of town. A lot of people are familiar with that part. I was not familiar. I'm not sure if this is made up for the film or if this is just a specific version. But I guess there's a crippled boy in the town that couldn't keep up with the kids dancing and got lost along the way. And now he's the only child left in the town. All of his friends are gone. Uh, he's imagining like all the visions and the delights that the Pied Piper put in her head. And he's never going to see those now. And he's just stuck here. And it's super depressing. Mm-hmm. And we're clearly meant to draw a parallel to Nicole. Yeah, And that's where I got a lot of my, how much of this was just vengeance for you molested me and how much of this was you filled my head full of these visions and said you loved me and did all this and now I'm being discarded. 
and you're you're going you don't care about me and you're going after this money sure yeah i mean at the end she definitely chooses to be uh the lame child as they call him in the poem right or in the the parable the story uh she chooses that at the end certainly when she lies about the testimony what else do we have to say about this uh i got to say the the bus accident was way more shocking than i expected it was so understated i think by modern film standards i think you know we would have got inception style inside the bus camera rolling down that hill in a modern film or in a less uh nuanced film a less delicate film in a film that costs more than five million dollars to make yeah yeah whereas (laughs) in this we get you know the horror of kind of being in billy's position because Billy, Following one of the father, the he had a ritual where he followed his kid's bus yeah. to school every day on his way to work, and he waved and honked the whole way. So it's a it's a great way to put us in that character. We see head. through his POV, we see the thing veer off, go through the on-ramp, and then we don't see the bus yeah. until he parks, gets out, and he goes and he sees the bus is still like skidding on this lake. Mm-hmm. And it's upright, and you're thinking, well, this isn't so bad. And then sure. it falls through the fucking ice, and you're like, oh, Christ. Yeah. This and that was completely shocking to horrifying. me. Horrifying, yeah. Uh, but like I said, such a good way to put us in that character's head and really understand uh, what he felt about it at right. the time. Because that, that's horrifying. And then he goes over there and he looks at it and he's dumbfounded. You know, the film then ends literally uh, five minutes after the girl testifies. Nicole goes and she gives her desp- dip- deposition and she basically, she hasn't basically, I should not say that word. We should get a basically bucket that we establish. I have to put in $5 every time I say the word basically. Get a basically filter that pulls it all out. Yeah, exactly. the podcast. Uh, but she tells the court recorder and the other lawyer that the school driver was going – school bus driver is going 72 miles an hour. Yeah. And she was afraid and lost control of the, of the bus. Clearly a lie. Which blows up the case – and like the lawyer Ian Holmes is like, there's no way you can't go forward now. This there's there's no way we can win. And they mention that everyone knows that this child is lying. And he mentions that you know a, a daughter to put her father in that position just isn't natural. And it invites you to kind of wonder what happens next in this town. Sure, I mean this daughter has torpedoed all these families' hopes. Some of them of justice. Some of them money. Uh, what are questions going to be asked about that family? Because this family is one of the, you know, more outwardly looking stable and upright, you know, because they, they kind of did that at the beginning where one, one of the, one of the town's folks basically thinks everyone in the whole fucking town is a criminal of some sort or ne'er do well. Yeah. And then you hear, you know, through other people more fair and balanced, but I don't think anyone suspected their, no, it didn't seem like it. Yeah, uh, they they were the fam- they were the autos, right? The family that I think so. I don't know. I honestly don't okay. know. I know but Billy's it was name. The... Yeah, it was the family that they seemed to think was all right. Sure, couldn't think of anything bad about them. Right. Uh, it makes me wonder if they actually couldn't think of anything bad about them, or if they didn't want to say. Like that, I'm not totally certain that the guy in that motel uh, didn't know about it. Interesting. Or, no, they weren't in the motel at the time. Wherever he went to that first family. Huh. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he knew about it. Uh, so that is the review of a very complex film. I think that if 
it, you know, is it you you I think from this review you either know whether you want to see this film or not. <laughs> sure. And I cannot recommend this film because they're, you know, you know what <laughs> okay. I'm saying? Like there's uh, some films like a Snow Falling the Cedars I think was an excellent film. I'm glad I saw it, but I wouldn't recommend it to you because it's like I liked it, I enjoyed it, I'm glad I saw it, but I can't say you need to see this film. So given going into this, I was very skeptical about doing a podcast on it because I didn't know what to say about it. It's very, very far outside of our wheelhouse. Sure. Uh, we like stuff that is a little more actiony, a little more funny, uh, stuff that we can make jokes about. This is not a joking film no. at all. Uh, so it's hard for me to recommend it as well, but that's because you don't know our taste in these types of movies, right? So right. if I recommend this film to you, it doesn't mean much of anything. Yeah. Whereas if I recommend, I don't know, some stupid racing action flick, you mm-hmm. probably understand where I'm coming from when I give that recommendation. Right. It's the same thing. This like is I'm, just completely foreign. Um, You know, on our Walking Dead cast, I don't necessarily recommend Mad Men, but I would recommend <laughs> sure, Game of Thrones yeah. and Breaking Bad. And on Mad Men, I'd recommend Fargo and maybe Breaking Bad, but not necessarily Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. Not to say there's not crossover fans, because obviously I like them all. But it's impossible to predict from an average basis what someone like. And especially when things are this far into the art realm. Yeah. You know, there's there's a significant portion of the population that just is not going to have it. Sure. I'm not going to sit and watch a two-hour movie about dead school children and a trial that goes nowhere. Yeah, and I probably wouldn't have either uh, unless Ollie had commissioned this. But now that I've seen it, I mean, I'm happy I saw it. It's it's hard to say. Uh, no. I definitely appreciate the film for what it is. So here's the theory. But I, I don't actually, know that I had fun watching it. I actually have started to appreciate kind of art cinema more and more sure. as I get okay. older. And I kind of I, I seek out those experiences because mm. you, once you get – you know, where your life is half over. Yeah. You start to get the sense that I've seen every story there is to see. <laughs> and I've seen okay. a lot of formats and all the tricks. Like the first time you see a film that plays with chronolo- chronology, it's like blows your mind. Like, oh, Pulp Fiction. I didn't know you could make a film like that. Sure. And then you start seeing them like, oh, well, that wasn't the first and it's not the last. I Films like this are interesting because it is, it reminds me of like going to an art museum and just looking at, art and like yeah, you yeah. know there is no right or wrong answer how do you feel how does it make you feel how what well does it capture this emotion and that is as interesting as tom cruise trapping on exoskeleton and defeating a bunch of aliens sure and it's also and almost it's every way. time something i haven't seen before yeah yeah sometimes the only it's thing... terrible sometimes it's just like <laughs> oh gee you know you can't get the taste of the film out of your uh, like uh how, well, how do you feel about antichrist I have that's Willem Dafoe. Yes, uh, I've never seen the full thing. I watched the first like forty five seconds and I almost killed myself, so I turned it off. Yeah, yeah. sometimes you can get some <laughs> stuff that's like I wish I could scrub my brain free of this. Yeah, thing. it's 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 you know like something out of the ring. You know, like you mm-hmm. see this in Seven Days Later, you're gonna blow your head off. Yeah, not not interested in the Antichrist thing. Maybe I'll revisit it after seeing this film. <laughs> and yet you watch the Human Centipede. I have, but that's that's like, a, that's that's like a, a film where I, I nope that of three minutes into uh, what it's, it's funny because yeah the I images think that says of that something, stuff that the, says something perfect about us 
It does. The the imagery doesn't bother me. I mean, you can sew a guy's ass to as many mouths as you want, and I'm not going to get freaked out by it. By the way, that is the plot of the Human Centipede 3. Yeah. Oh, sure. Ass to multiple mouths. Multiple mouths. Yeah. <laughs> Funnels. Uh but there's there's something different about you know feeling an intense emotion. The human centipede doesn't cause any emotion in me. It's just it it's does a, me, it's a schlocky, man. It's like it's like the Fast and the Furious, like that and Hostile and all that stuff. It just I'm I... not watching the Fast and Furious for awesome racing. I'm not watching the Human Centipede for a deep emotional study. I'm. <laughs> What's weird though is if the Human Centipede was like a novel or short story, I'd totally read it. Huh. Yeah, like you read my, Prime Intellect. Yeah, like my stomach for metamorphosis of torture yeah. and just like deep dark human stuff is like a lot more than I can take on film. Huh, interesting. So anyway, that's our that that's that's <laughs> the review. I was I was going to say the closest thing that I've probably seen that stuck with me like this is Requiem for a Dream. Uh, that yeah. was a but but that was more Actiony. That was more contemporary feeling. It did have a narrative structure that was important to the film. It Whereas did. This yeah. one, I don't think the facts mattered so much as you know. Yep. You could have changed a lot of details in the film, and it wouldn't have mattered because they were going for a feeling. Yes, and a place and time rather than you know, don't do heroin, kids. Ass bad. to ass. Yeah, ass to ass. <laughs> you might you might get a dildo shoved your ass or your arm amputated. Sure. That's a good way to take this podcast out. So before we get out of here, we solicited some feedback from Ali, who's the one who commissioned this podcast for us. Uh, we wanted to get his thoughts on the show, uh, on the movie, rather, um, and see what we think of those. So Ali sent us an email, and it says... And by the way, this is... Hmm? on the Anyone that's commissioning a podcast, these are things to think about. If you have feedback, this is like your cast. So if you've got feedback at specific points you want us to cover... Let us know. Sure, definitely. Uh, so Ali says, Thanks, Jim and Aaron. Not an easy film to watch. Pretty rough story. But Egoyan has a few films that are what he calls Lynch-worthy, uh, as in David Lynch, or in this case, even stronger. Must admit, haven't seen the film in a few years, but here are his thoughts. I thought the young Sarah Polly and Ian Holm played off each other excellently, even in scenes that they weren't in together. Uh, there weren't any CGI or special effects, but the selling of the story through the actors' faces was phenomenal. And through such a difficult story of loss and any attempt, uh, and regaining that was a bonus. Not sure I read that sentence right. <laughs> <laughs> through such a difficult story. Okay. Uh, with different actors, I could see this thing being a flop, but it's always stuck with me as a go-to classic on Acting 101. I will totally agree with that. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Very, I don't know the list of actors that could do that job of solicitor better than Ian Holm. Definitely. And have that kind of nuance. Uh, it'd actually be a fun game to try. Like, you know, who could you plug <laughs> in there? Uh, Anthony Hopkins. If, Anthony well, Hopkins you're just going with it. old dudes who are yeah, you classically can't. trained actors. I say you shove... No, Jonah Hill. Let's put Jonah <laughs> Hill in there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I I want to put and say Leonardo DiCaprio in there. Yeah, yeah, he could pull it off. Nah, um, I don't think so. I think maybe John C. Riley. I think he could. Pull... <laughs> oh, okay, you're trolling me now. I am trolling. Okay, you. Yeah. my eyes started to switch. <laughs> he says, regardless of the story, you can put Ian home with a broomstick, and it would be a classic. Uh, yet Polly, in her unfortunate circumstance with her father and home with his daughter, is very polarizing, depressing as hell. Can't leave that out. 
but extremely moving uh, on how we as a people cope, and regardless of who's to blame or not, we sublimate if need be, but we move on. It also reminded me of recent uh, Walking Dead episodes. School bus be damned. The whole survive at all costs thing really is similar. Is Rick doing this for him to survive? No, I see it as him building a foundation for Carl to lead in the next generation. I just feel like they spoiled it. You know, that we since we saw Glenn in the preview, when the, the bus fell through the ice, I knew he wasn't on that bus. He didn't die. <laughs> totally took me out of the show. <laughs> yep. Uh, then he says, obviously no zombies, but the loss, the pain, the getting up out of bed just to find your day is the worst you've ever had. And being able to say tomorrow will be better. Um, both the people of the town and in The Walking Dead have that. That's a really good point, too, that, you know, I'm young enough that I haven't had a situation where something tragic has happened in my life where you get up and it's like the opposite of that dream you have where you got something awesome for Christmas and it's so real. You wake up and it's mm-hmm. like you're excited to ride your bike and you realize, oh, no, I don't have this thing. Sure. Like if your child dies... How long does it take to wake up before your first thought is you've got like a couple seconds of, oh, yeah, it's a new day before, oh, shit. Yeah. Or like if this day's going to be as bad as last. Like if a parent dies or your uh, spouse or significant other dies, um, you know, it's that is a really interesting human emotion to explore. And I think he's right on. This movie did that very well. Sure. And, and especially with someone as young as Nicole. Uh, that's really extra tragic because she's got a lot more of that life ahead of her. Right. She understands what's going on less. Right. And is less able to cope with it, I think. Right. So, very tragic. He goes on to say, I thought this was worth getting to know an older film and how easy it is to pull off horrific actions. Excellent story, excellent director, and excellent actors. Forgive me if this wasn't your cup of tea. If not, stay far away from Exotica that's even tougher to watch. Really? Yeah. Because I, I was reading, I, I actually thought about seeing that because I hear that that was the first one where Adam made his mark. Mm-hmm. And it also seemed like it might be a little sexy. Oh, okay. But if it's got, you know, uh, I don't think that sexy and bone-crushing despair work. No, See, no. Black Swan, the. <laughs> oh, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> All right, and that's it for Ali's thoughts on that. Uh, really appreciate you commissioning this. I Gotta say, I thoroughly enjoyed watching this film, even if it was uh, really depressing. <laughs> yeah, it's super interesting because I don't—I probably never would have gotten around to seeing this mm-hmm. um, had he not kind of uh, resurrected it for us. So I just checked; it's a, a DVD rental on Netflix, or you can watch it for two ninety nine on Amazon uh, Instant Video. Do people still rent DVDs from Netflix? Uh, yeah, it's a service. In you fact, still, that's a thing. I guess cinephiles especially love it because they have such a huge, broad, deep catalog, and there's sure. hardly any competition for it. So, if you want to get the sweet hereafter, now you're going to have thousands of bald moves fan, bald move fans clamoring for it. You'll have a seven month <laughs> waiting record. But Did, if you'd have come in yesterday and said I want to see hereafter, it'd be yeah. at your house the next day. Sure. All right. So there's a, a, a cheap legal way to catch it, to watch it instantly and. Uh, uh, a still cheap legal way to watch it a little bit longer take and then everything in between <laughs> all right sounds good that's it if you'd like to commission us to do a podcast on a piece of entertainment that you enjoy like ali uh you can do so at subbable.com slash bald move and what that is is a free subscription service 
you can say, hey, I want to give these guys, I particularly enjoyed this podcast. I want to give them three or four dollars. Or you can say, I enjoy their podcast on a consistent basis. I would like to give them a dollar a month or whatever. Either way, every dollar you spend and send to us, you put in a perk bank and you can save up for lots of things. We got like on the low end, we got backer certificates and like pictures of us. Uh, that we will mail to you. Uh, we've got DVD archives of our, our material so far if you don't want to download all that crap or go through it uh, bit by bit. And then on the higher end, we've got like custom commission things like the podcast and stuff like that, or you can do audio dedications to uh, some of our back archive. You know, if you want to dedicate an episode to someone you love or a business uh, or whatever you want to do, uh, if you want information on all the things you can do, go to subbable.com slash baldmove. Uh, thank you, Ali, for backing us uh, and for being a supporter. Yeah. I hope you've enjoyed our take on this. And uh, until the next custom project, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. We'll see you then. <laughs>